The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome, welcome everyone. You know what, Jim, I wonder if the volume can be just a little bit lower. I'm speaking as softly as I can. There we go. Thank you. That's a little bit better. Nice to see you all here on a Monday evening. So tonight I'm going to continue on a series that I've been doing. I think this will be the last in this series. And it's perfectly fine if you weren't here for the earlier ones. But this series is on like efforting or putting forth energy or having determination or resolve or, you know, these types of things. Like having an aspiration and then moving that direction. I'm just going to flesh it out a little bit more uh, on the talk tonight. And I'm going to start uh, with a story. A story that comes from the suttas, that is the literature from the early Buddhist literature. And this um, story is about Megya. He, at this time, was the Buddha's attendant. Some of you may know that Ananda was the Buddha's attendant. This was before Ananda. So this was you know, Megya. And the attendant was somebody that would just take care of whatever the Buddha needed. And I don't know exactly, but in my mind, it was like when people were wanting to talk to the Buddha, maybe it would be the attendant that would say, well, not right now. They're talking to somebody else. Why don't you come back in an hour? Or, you know, something like this. So Megya was the attendant. And one day he goes for alms rounds, which, you know, all of them did. This is how they had food and how they supported themselves was to go to alms rounds every day. So Megya goes for alms rounds and on his way back, he's walking along the banks of the Kimikala River. And this is like a, a detail. Why is this added? There's no particular reason. In my mind, I'm thinking because it must have been a really pleasant river. Because while he's walking back to go see, uh, after his alms rounds, so back to where the Buddha is, he also notices that there's this mango grove nearby. And he describes it as really pleasant and tranquil. And he has this thought, oh, this would be a good place to meditate. We can imagine, right? It's not like they have meditation centers or retreat centers or anything like this, right? They were having to find just where in nature, or sometimes they had buildings too, but where would be a good place to meditate? So he, while walking along the river, found this spot. So he comes back and says to the Buddha, I think I'm going to go meditate at this uh, mango grove. And the Buddha says, no. It's not the right time right now, Magia. Wait for someone else to come here. So the Buddha needed an attendant. He didn't want to be without his attendant at this time. And then Magia says, but sir, you have no more work to do and nothing that needs improvement, but I do. So <laughs> I kind of appreciate this. Like Magia's like, really, I need to meditate. And then the Buddha says, no, a second time. I need to please stay here until there's another attendant. And then the Magia says, 
in response, but sir, you have no more work to do and nothing that needs improvement, but I do. So this is the third time that uh, Megia is asking, and it's part of the tradition if you ask three times, and there's be an acquisition saying yes. So the Buddha says, what can I say to someone who is speaking of practicing? Do as you wish. So let's him go. So Megia, I don't know how he feels exactly, but she, he seemed pretty determined that he wanted to go meditate, right? And kind of insisting, like, you know, he was putting his own needs in front of the Buddhas at this time. Like, okay, I just, maybe in my mind, I'm imagining that Megia is like, wow, compared to the Buddha, I have a lot of work to do. I have no time to waste. I better hop to it. We don't know exactly. So, so uh, Megia leaves and he goes to meditate. He goes to this mango grove and he sits and he's meditating. And he has a hard time. He finds that his mind is assaulted by all these thoughts, unwelcome thoughts, unhelpful thoughts, unwholesome thoughts. And she just feels like there's nothing but this uh, terrible thoughts. You know, he saw this mango grove and he had this idea, okay, I'm going to go sit. Ah, it'll be tranquil, peaceful, calm. So, and specifically, he says to himself, like, wow. This even has this kind of this word, wow, <laughs> which uh, we can translate in a number of different ways, but I think the word wow is, uh, could be, is the appropriate one. And he says, I left the lay life and became a monastic. Right? He's a monastic. He left his whole life behind. And yet I am harassed by these three kinds of unhelpful, unwholesome thoughts. These three kinds of thoughts, sensual thoughts, aversive thoughts, cruel thoughts. So thoughts of sensuality, of like something that, uh, maybe it's some inappropriate sexual activity. He's a celibate monk after all. Or maybe it's you know, just about thoughts of, gee, why am I here with the mangoes? It'd be so much more comfortable if I were maybe even like next to the river or something. He has this idea of wanting comfort. He also have these thoughts about aversion, like gee, that Buddha guy didn't let me go sit, or I have to go here because the other monastics are in the way. Like, we don't know what they are. And even thoughts of cruelty, a little bit of like some harming or some ill will. So, wow. <laughs> I've left the lay life and become a monastic, yet I am harassed by these three kinds of unhelpful unwholesome thoughts. I like this verb, harassed. Sometimes it can feel like this. Or at least, in my mind, it can feel like this. Maybe for you guys it doesn't happen, but uh, for me sometimes it can feel that way. So he goes back to that Buddha and reports what had happened about having these three types of unhelpful thoughts. And, And the Buddha gives him some advice for me, I think it's interesting that here's a Magia who's he's a monastic. He's dedicated his life to practice. And he has what we could say is one of the world's best meditation teachers. And yet he's having a tough time. So it kind of like normalizes our experience. Like humans are humans. 
we can't just uh, automatically make things go the way that we want. So he tells the Buddha, and the Buddha says to him, when freedom of the heart has not fully ripened, so freedom of the heart, this is a word, ceto vemuti, we could also translate it as liberation of the mind. So it's the word citta, some of you know it can be translated as either heart or mind. And sometimes it's helpful to think about for us, is it heart or mind that we think is needs to be opened or liberated or softened or transformed or, you know, in what way. So the Buddha says, when freedom of the heart has not fully ripened, there are five things that are conducive to full ripening. I like this, that Buddha is saying, here's like this idea of ripening is a natural process. You know, fruits ripen. We don't have to make them ripen. They know how to do it. So the Buddha is saying, well, here's some things to help ripen what's already going to happen. It's a natural process. That's going to help ripen. So here are the three things. One, good spiritual friends and companions, the people that are on the spiritual path with us. It's friends and companions. Actually, there's also a word that can be associates. This doesn't mean we have to have best friends. It just means practicing with others. So it can be just being here at IMC, practicing together. And it also can be, you know, having a group of friends that you talk about the Dharma with. Huge range of what this can mean. Second, ethical behavior. I think we all know this. If we have some unethical things in our lives, it weighs on us. We have to hide it. We have to. We feel shame about it. All these types of things. Third, conversations with others that are about contentment, arousing energy, and then a list of a number of other things. I'm just going to highlight these for now. So this opportunity to share with others and talk about what's uh, what's happening with life. It's happening with our practice. And we could say that Megia, he was able to talk with uh, the Buddha and presumably with some of his fellow monastics as well. Fourth, applying effort. And I'm going to unpack this one some more. And five, having wisdom. Wisdom in particular about seeing the changing nature, the impermanent nature of things. Five things that support a ripening of the opening of the heart. One, spiritual companions, two, ethical behavior, three, conversations about contentment, arousing energy, and a number of other topics, four, applying effort, five, having wisdom, seeing impermanence, seeing changing, seeing the inconstant nature of our experience. Three out of five of these guidelines are related to effort, Number four is the obvious one, specifically about applying effort, but it also says in the sutta, a practitioner with good friends, companions, and associates can expect to be energetic, like that this can be can support practice, to be practicing with others, to be motivated by others. And sometimes, you know, we borrow other people's motivations when ours are lagging, or sometimes others bother, uh, borrow ours, and it feels good to be able to support others. 
And then this idea that the part of the conversations is about arousing energy. Like, what is motivating? What supports us through the difficulties? What helps us come back to the cushion or continue with our efforts and our um, wholesome ethical behavior? Like, we're never finished with ethical, wholesome behavior in our life. It's not like, okay, check, I got that done. I never have to think about it again in my life. Like, this is something that we're always doing. Like, how can I show up in my life in a way that I can bring the most ease and freedom for myself and others. That's something we're always will be doing. This takes effort. So for me, when I thought about this, I thought, well, what was wrong with Magia's effort? He was the one that really insisted that he wanted to go meditate. Like he really demanded and the Buddha even said no and he relinquished and then he said yes. So why is the Buddha giving instructions to Megia about effort? Well, here's some, a few things that maybe we can uh, consider. We don't know, of course, right? But here's some things we might imagine. One, maybe Megia was procrastinating. Maybe he was supposed to be meditating earlier and he didn't. And he said he had this idea like, okay, I have to go now because I didn't earlier. And so maybe th- this uh, idea of procrastinating is one way that shows up here in the suttas. We all know what procrastination is. It's this like putting off or delaying something that we need to do, should do, and don't do putting it off until later time. There's this, sometimes it can feel like this force that uh, prevents us from following through on what we set out to do, gets in the way of what's important to us. And, you know, maybe it's not surprising because humans, we prefer immediate gratification. We want to do what's pleasurable, enjoyable, comfortable now. And sometimes what we should be doing is not enjoyable and comfortable. So we'd rather just do something else. And uh, I'll unpack this a little bit more. This idea that maybe we we like to, uh, we'd rather watch something on Netflix than, <laughs> than do our taxes, for example. So there's this sutta passage It doesn't say it specifically about procrastination, but I appreciate that the Buddha, he's calling this out. He says, there can be a practitioner has some work to do, and they think, I have some work to do, but while doing it, I'll get tired, so let me lie down. So they lie down and they don't arouse energy, and they are unable to attain the unattained, unable to achieve the unachieved, unable to realize the unrealized. Like the unrealized, the unattained, the un, what's it, uh, unat- unattained, unachieved, unrealized. Right? These are the goals. These are the things that are out there. And you will, won't reach your goals if every time you have this idea like, oh, well, maybe I'll just lay down. And then uh, this... It continues, it says, in contrast, a practitioner has some work to do, and they think, I have some work to do. And while working, it's not easy to focus on the instructions of the Buddha, so 
I better rouse up energy for attaining the unattained, realizing the unrealized, achieving the unachieved. So the Buddha is pointing, he's just making this contrast where some people are see what still needs to be done and, and want to, the manner in which they do it, they want to do it in a way that's aligned with the Buddha's teachings. So they rouse up energy. But there's some people who don't. Okay, but how do we rouse up energy? Like this is, maybe it's easy to say, easy to be written down, but how do we do this? Well, I'll say specifically, one way to work with uh, some procrastination. This is, I I, uh, heard this idea from James Clear, probably many of you are familiar with James Clear, he's the author of this book, Atomic Habits. It's like, it's been a bestseller for on the bestseller lists for weeks and weeks, maybe even years, I don't know. So it's uh, it's often when I go to people's houses, I often will see it on their bookshelf. There's one of those books that I think all of us can relate to. It's just this idea of but how can we have habits that uh, really support a life that we want. And he, James Clear, he talks about procrastination and he recommends something. And after hearing this, I started doing this and I found it really helpful. This idea of taking baby steps, baby steps, baby, baby steps, baby steps, <laughs> like really small. Something that can be done in two minutes. So this takes a little bit, like we have to get creative, okay, what's the very first thing that can be done in two minutes? So this, for me, Right, I'm having to pull together talks, and sometimes I'm like, "Oh my goodness, I better get to that." And I have some ideas in my mind, but they're not organized yet, or something like this. For me, I just uh, have this uh, something that helps me. I have a colored pen that I like. I have a few of them in different colors, depends on the mood of the day, what color I choose. And I have a blank piece of paper. And I write down some of the ideas and I like will draw lines connecting them. Like, oh yeah, okay, this is related to that and that's not re- that's related to this and oh, this is actually unrelated and cross it out or something like that. This I can do in two minutes. And then like, oh, okay. It's the starting that turns out to be really difficult. And then once we've started, it's a little bit easier so what is something that you can start with that takes just two minutes? And this is my interpretation of one reason why the Buddha, when he's describing some uh, meditation, he goes into such minutia sometimes. Maybe, maybe because he recognized this, that sometimes we need to just do one small thing at a time. Instead of waiting for motivation to arise, instead of waiting for momentum to arrive, we can just do something for two minutes, and then often from that, momentum can arrive. Motivation can arrive. And after we kind of like get the ball rolling. So here's how the Buddha talks about meditation. A meditator goes to the forest, or to the root of a tree, or to an empty hut. Okay, 
go somewhere. And they sit down. Okay, here's another little baby step. Sit down. And maybe that's all you do. Maybe you go to your equivalent of meditation and you sit down and maybe that's your two minutes. He continues, he says, having folded their legs crosswise, so there's no requirement to sit crosswise. Plenty of people do not sit crosswise and they, with their legs crosswise and are perfectly fine. Having folded their legs crosswise, set their body erect. Okay, so taking the meditation posture, whatever your meditation posture is, going to a place, sitting down, taking a meditation posture. Then fourth, establish mindfulness in front of them. So a little bit how we translate in front of them. There's a number of different ways we can think about it, but let's just say in front of mind. Just have mindfulness, this intention for mindfulness. Mindful, they breathe in. Mindful, they breathe out. Half a breath, and then half a breath out. So maybe this is something that we can think about. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I have to go meditate. What if we broke it down to these tiny little steps? Going to the place of meditation, sitting down. Maybe that's it for one day. That's, maybe that's it. Or sitting down and then really taking time to get a meditation posture, a way in which you feel comfortable in a posture that uh, you think you can hold for some time. Maybe it's like, oh yeah, my knee's bothering me, I need to have some support. Or it's kind of chilly in here and let me get a blanket or a shawl or something. Taking some time with the posture. And then just say a half breath in or half breath out. And then... What's going to unfold next is going to unfold next as a way to just get us to begin. It's so easy for so many things in our life, right, to not, to keep on putting them off and our life is passing us by. This idea of one way to work with procrastination is to take baby steps. Another way Oh, let me, actually, uh, James Clear, he talks about, he says there's a few advantages of doing these uh, baby steps. One thing is that you have a feeling like, oh, okay, I did something. I did this, I went to my meditation place, and I sat down. And there's a little like, okay, that's a baby step. And there's this way of to acknowledge, okay, I am doing something having like these small little wins, having these small little uh, sense of uh, progress. We shouldn't underestimate how powerful that can be. Just these tiny little wins, like, oh, okay, at least I did this. I, I'm, I'm getting there. It's, I'm going the direction I want to go. doesn't mean, you know, you're going to meditate for five days or something like this. We start where we are. And then the second way... A second, uh, one of the benefits of this is that um, it also helps us uh, just have this uh, attitude of productivity. This it kind of like shifts a, a the, there's a sense of the way that we um, let go of beating ourselves up. A sense of like, okay, I am doing this, which means that this sense of momentum can grow can 
instead of, I mentioned earlier, instead of waiting for all the momentum before we sit to just do a baby step, and then to do that creates the conditions in which momentum can begin. So that's one way we can work with this procrastination. And that was specifically about, you know, doing a seated meditation practice. It doesn't have to be for seated meditation practice. Of course, it can be anything in your life. Here's a second thing. To understand what is it, or why do we procrastinate? What's underneath this? There's lots of reasons. And a big part of meditation practice, whether that is our intention or not, is gaining self-understanding. We learn a lot about ourselves when we meditate. We learn a lot about seeing what our minds like to do. We learn about what do we do when it's physically uncomfortable. What do we do when we don't want to? Like, how do we distract ourselves? Or There's all these ways in which we learn about ourselves with a meditation practice. But some ways in which we might procrastinate is maybe because we don't really know how to do something. Like, I know I should do this, but I'm not quite sure how. I have this little uh, clicker thing for the garage door. I'm like, okay, it feels like it's I, uh, the, the battery's getting low, but I really should fix that. But I don't really know how. I know I could just go find a YouTube uh, <laughs> video and go watch it, but there's this thing like, oh yeah, I don't know how. Like, if I knew how, maybe I would just go do it. But So maybe there's small things that we just don't know how, so we just keep on putting them off. Or maybe you just don't feel in the mood to do it. Like we're waiting to be in the right mood. That works until it doesn't, right? Because often we're not in the mood to do things. And how can we do them anyway? And then maybe a third thing that I'll say here is maybe we're in the habit of waiting until the last minute Maybe we don't like to, we just uh, think that we work better under pressure and so we got to do things uh, at the last minute and we don't want to do things beforehand. This is just our way that we've been running our life the way that we are in the world. So one way we can use our practice as a support is to, maybe we can drop in some reflections during our meditation. Like, why are we practicing? Often our intentions or our aspirations are not well articulated. Is there something that we can gain some clarity by? But what is it? What is it that supports my practice? Why am I doing this? Maybe we can touch into this. Maybe there's something that it touches our heart, this aspiration, and that can be a support. Or maybe something else we can ask ourselves, maybe like after meditation or maybe after like settling a little bit and then asking, what's getting in the way? Like what are the obstacles that are getting in the way of my best efforts? Maybe there's something that we haven't noticed, some fear, for example. Or maybe there's this addiction to comfort, this feeling like I have to be comfortable at all times. And if I'm not comfortable, it's terrible and I need to blame somebody or blame something. 
Or maybe it's our ethical behavior can be cleaned up a little bit. Maybe there's we have some dishonesty with ourselves or some dishonesty with others and that takes a lot of our energy or is nagging at us or impacting us in some kind of way. So another way to work with some procrastination or why we're not putting forth effort doing what we want to do, what's important to us, is for us to maybe not have clarity about what are obstacles, what's getting in the way. And it's worthwhile to ask. Just do some reflection. If it's not during meditation, maybe some writing. So maybe for Megia, maybe he was procrastinating. Maybe not. But maybe there's something else about effort that the Buddha was pointing to. And that is this uh, notion, many of you will be familiar with this, of right effort. Many of you will write, meaning like wise effort. Write as in it's the appropriate effort. Write as in if you want to put a nail into something, the right quote-unquote tool is a hammer or something that you can hit it with as opposed to tweezers, for example. Like write as the correct tool. So right effort, wise effort is this uh, defined as like actively diminishing what leads to our suffering and the suffering of others. And actively increasing what leads to our well-being and the well-being of others. So this actively diminishing what's unhelpful and actively increasing what's helpful. This rise effort, like is, you know, putting energy and effort in this direction. And it does require effort. Right? Because there's this, we have to have some activity or some energy is essential. If we're, this, these teachings, this path, this idea of greater and greater freedom, freedom is going to be anything other than just theoretical or nice thoughts, then we actually have to do some action. Of course we do. That's true about everything. Not just this. So this wise effort helps us like bridge the gap between how we are here and our aspirations that we have, our inspirations that we have. And this this way that uh, right effort is has these different qualities. Sometimes this effort shows up as hard work, manual labor kind of thing, perseverance, or this gritty application just hanging in there. And sometimes wise effort shows up this this gentle opening of the heart. This maybe this gentle, persistent turning towards, and allowing things like shed, allowing things to shed, and so that there can be some calming and some settling. So sometimes effort is like some takes energy, in a and maybe the conventional way we think about it, but there's also also can be this effort to maybe open and soften some of our habits of busyness or soften some of our habits of trying to prop ourselves up all the time and whatever it might be, whatever it might be. 
So often when we hear this word effort, we think strive and strain. Maybe there is part of that, but that's not all of it. And so often we discard the effort of maybe we need effort to relax too. Right? Our society these days really promotes this sense of like, go, 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 busy, be busy, be busy, and achieve, achieve, attain, attain. And we have this feeling like, oh, if I'm not doing that, then maybe I'm just, you know, not doing it right. I don't want to admit this. We have some shame about not always being busy or something like this. Maybe it actually takes some effort to say, no, actually, I can't do that right now. Maybe sometimes it just takes effort to say, you know what, I'm going to go to bed early, even though I really want to do this, that, and the other thing, but uh, I'm going to take care of myself and my life in and, and this kind of way. So Megya, so maybe the Buddha, when he was talking to him, wasn't thinking that he was procrastinating, but he was just, maybe Megya was putting effort in the wrong way. Maybe Megya, when he was talking to the Buddha, was just um, thinking of only concerned about himself and not concerned about others. Or maybe he only wanted to meditate in the beautiful place and wasn't willing to meditate where the Buddha was in a place that maybe was perfectly fine. Like, we don't know why the Buddha is talking to Megya about effort. But maybe it's something we could ask for ourselves. Like, what is what can be a support for us? for our lives, what's important for us, whether it's your spiritual practice or whatever it is in your life, what can be a support, what can be helpful, and how can we increase what's helpful and decrease what's unhelpful. So I'll end there, and I'll open it up to see if there are any questions or comments. Janet last week had asked, can you talk about procrastination? And I'm like, well, okay. (laughs) So here we are. (laughs) Yeah, can we send that? Thank you. I'm afraid this won't be very well posed, but it seemed like you were talking sort of like social supports, things that support, and I believe it was item one and item three, couldn't really decide what the difference was. Oh, it seemed like social, uh, and then friends to talk it, talk over with. What's the distinction? Yeah. Why two categories? Yeah, I would say that um, this the things to talk about is actually quite a long list, and some of things are things that we often don't talk about. So they're saying that you could have uh, friends and associates. Sometimes you just see somebody like on a meditation retreat or even like here, if you see somebody that's sitting calmly and upright, that alone can be a support. You're not talking to them. You don't even know them, but just practicing with others can be a support. And then in, and then in contrast to the uh, conversations, there were specific topics. I, I just mentioned two, but I think there's like eight topics in that whole list there. So, Okay, that, that sounds good. So. Anybody else have a, have a comment or a question? <laughs> You're shaking your head. No, don't don't make the microphone come to me. 
Oh, Jim has something. Thank you for your talk, Diana. Uh, I've been thinking about energy and effort and things like that. And I just had conversations with two of my spiritual friends who have been doing, um, having energy blocked, and they've been doing somatic experiencing. And that seems a little bit different. Like it's not so much seeing how thoughts are getting in the way of energy, but maybe there's some blockage. And so I was thinking about things like somatic experiencing or Qigong or some of these, or um, energy work of various kinds. Do you have any thoughts about mm-hmm. those? Mm-hmm. I, I, have, I have two thoughts, maybe. We could think that, well, maybe we could apply this to go do one's yoga practice, Qigong practice, or see their SE practitioner or something like this. And two, that uh, there's... A, Lots of um, there's not so much in the early Buddhist literature about uh, like energy in the body, like moving in the body, being blocked or not being blocked. We don't see that. I, I don't know why. I know in some other ancient traditions it's there, and I think in maybe even some later Indian traditions it's there, but not uh, not in early Buddhism. So I don't I don't know why, honestly. Any other comments or questions? Thank you. You were talking about how the right effort could sometimes be something arduous, like really like manual labor, and other times very subtle. You know, how do you? What are the kind of cues to look to, to distinguish between the two or across that spectrum and determine what is the right amount of effort? Yeah, this is a great question. I have a I have a, a, a clear answer. Is this increasing my suffering or decreasing my suffering? And to say, okay, there's suffering that leads to the end of suffering, and then there's suffering that leads to more suffering. So, is there maybe uh, just to gain some familiarity with this, like, okay, I know that this is, uh, yeah, uh, maybe I, maybe I don't need to unpack that, but you have a sense about it. Because the whole idea is, uh, right, to increase our well-being and peace and freedom and ease and to uh, decrease suffering. So the way that we go towards approach suffering, there is, I'm using suffering as this really, really broad word, right? something really mild to just something really terrible. I'm using one word for this whole range. And, yeah, that's just something to check in. And often the the suffering shows up, if it's not like physical discomfort, as a little thought that uh, that supports a certain amount of tightness or tension or closing down. And I would call that like suffering. There's this kind of like bearing down, I got to do this, as opposed to, nope, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and kind of do it with a maybe like a uprightness and openness as opposed to, i got to get this. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So thank you all, and I wish you a lovely rest of the evening. Thank you.